This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another show, for another episode of our TGT podcast, our weekly show in which I'm joined by some fantastic guests and Mike to discuss the week's events. Uh, how are you doing, Mike? Are you well, son? It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I just can't help that, you know, little one there. And I, I mean, I haven't unmuted you, so I don't hear anything. <laughs> How many times are you going to use that introduction? I'm like, he's going to say, and Mike. and uh, Well, it it bothers you. And I mean, if you've ever been in a playground, you remember the whole advice of, you know, if you ignore them, they'll stop doing it. (laughs) I have clearly not learned that lesson, even though I preach it to just about everybody else, as you know. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I'm also joined by Adam from the Football Terrace and, of course, the fifth official. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm very, very good. Good. There's a lot of positivity, which is weird considering what we're going to be talking about, uh, which is, I suppose, I'm not, I... not okay. Not okay, I'm sure. <laughs> It'll change. It'll change very soon. And finally, uh, it's really good to have him back on the show. It's been a little bit of a while, but it's Chris from Burkhart Wonderland. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yeah. All, all sort of things North London aside, but yeah, not too bad, mate. Yourself? Yes, not too shabby. I mean, I've had a fantastic day talking about a player that I know that you have absolutely no doubt in your mind is never going to be set and put inside the Emirates in an Arsenal shirt for sure and Eduardo Camavinga I'm sure we'll mention him a little bit later on <laughs> but yes, yeah it's been, it's been how was your day the other night day, oh yes my day it was fine thanks did oh, you find fun. out yeah she liked the photo and she oh. liked I think did she liked your tweet as well I think as well <laughs> so yeah <laughs> Yo, yes, yes, thanks for that. The amount of people have sent me messages sarcastically saying, nice shirt, wink face, was absolutely ridiculous. So, yeah, there you go. Trust me to post anything about my own social life on social media. Um, anyway, congratulations to everyone, uh, obviously, that's been joining us throughout the day. You've suffered through some uh, ridiculous content, of course, and I'm glad that you're joining us for this evening. So keep the content coming. Obviously, we'll get to questions a little bit later on in today's show. So if you have anything burning, uh, not personal, just questions, well, that you'd like to ask us, then make sure you save it until the end of the show. 
to kick off, obviously we usually do these talking about the game. We're not really doing that format today because of how little importance, I suppose, the games remaining have and more to talk about how we feel about Arsenal right now. Uh, Mike, I am going to start with you, son. We, we, your, your opinion's kind of changed throughout the season, I suppose. Um, and obviously we've we've gone back and forth on Arteta a bit. I think you've leaned towards more kind of, not necessarily full-on out, but during the Christmas period, it was definitely very tricky and you were finding it difficult to, to stay in, I suppose. Do you feel like, and I saw judges put this up the other day, do you feel like Arteta is the luckiest manager alive to still have a job right now? Well, I think he took the job with the full knowledge that it would be it would take you know multiple loss of bowel uh, control on the desk of Stan Kroenke for him to get sacked. I mean, and 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 that's not going to happen. Uh, so, I the Arteta thing is at this point mostly just I, I have no control over the situation. So what's the use in getting all bent out of shape over it? I mean, I, I, there are things that he's done that I agree with. There are reasons that he's, you know, not that, that that we've underperformed that I genuinely don't attribute to being down to him. But objectively speaking and looking at it, he continues to do some of the things that he was doing in in, in October, November, December, and and throughout. And the, you know, the results haven't been there. I, I'm not calling for his head at this point, but you know, the, the, the personnel decisions are the one thing that he seems to not be able to get out of his way. So, um, you know, as far as, as how you're feeling about the last few games, I've seen people, you know, why are you celebrating when we scored the first goal yesterday? It's just a meaningless tie against West Brom. Well, F that <laughs> I'm celebrating <laughs> when my team scores. Okay. Yeah. I'm watching the game because I can't not. And, and so, you know, I, I want us to win our last three games. I don't care if it ends us in that awful conference league, I just want us to win the games that are in front of us. So uh, I'm sorry that I have such a bad habit. I, <laughs> I, Twitter. Yeah, I, well, it's funny because the comments on some of the videos we're putting out, especially when I reacted to the the game uh, on Sunday after straight afterwards, were very much like, I don't care. Like, and, and I was saying about Spurs and the fact that we could still have a chance to overtake Spurs. And I was like, that's ingrained as me as an Arsenal fan to want to achieve, to finish higher than them in the league. And whilst that's still possible... I will hope that Arsenal do it and I'll back them to do it always. And it yeah. was really disheartening to see some comments going, I don't even care about Spurs because that it, it just gives me that sense of something being lost. I get that things are crap right now and things are the worst in my lifetime of watching Arsenal here that they've possibly been. But there's just, I don't know, Chris, I know, Chris, you're very obviously opinionated in regards to kind of the, the hatred towards Spurs, uh, as, as we know. And I know that you've been brought up very much to dislike those guys with an absolute privilege almost um does it does it fill you with a little bit of sadness when you see that kind of rhetoric from from sections of the fan base to not care about that yeah a little bit I, I think I think it goes a bit deeper than than the Spurs rivalry I think it's just like our fan base as a whole at the moment I think we're all just very disenfranchised with with what's going on at the club both on and off the pitch you know in terms of ownership management players that just the whole thing I think there's just this kind of apathy of like Oh, well, who cares? You know, who who cares if we? I, I think if we were fighting out for Spurs to finish above them in a place that meant we got something, i.e., European place, I think it would probably be a bit stronger because mm. I think because then it would be almost like we're denying them getting something, so there'd be that extra edge to it. Just simply finishing above them, you know, like you, I was brought up on St. Tottenham's Day, and we were kind of uh, we were lucky to have it 
kind of just every season, you know, it's never, never not a thing. And in recent times that's changed. So I kind of get it. But at the same time, like you said, it's, it's kind of sad when you look around and people just don't care. The only other thing, I guess, certainly from my point of view, and I'm sure Michael agree with this one, um, the older you get, the more you realise that the the younger generation don't care about the things us old folk do. So uh, I think that kind of blends into it a little it applies bit. applies to everybody but Tom. Tom's like, Tom's 26 going on 50, and, and I'm Jesus, 48 going on nine. <laughs> Yes, yes. There's one. Start tallying them up, guys, the amount of young jokes Mike makes throughout the show. Um, Adam, as a fellow fetus, as Mike would call us, um, <laughs> um, do you care? Is, does it bother you uh, that others don't care necessarily? Um, I've never been called a fetus before. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at some point i'm sure a doctor actually referred to you as that but yeah true yes. true true but did, did i even exist at that moment anyway oh let's not get into a window oh, oh, yeah. um, do, oh, do i care do i care that people don't care about finishing about Tottenham? uh no because I think it speaks to football's global appeal uh i think the fact that Arsenal is no longer just a, a, a London-based or North London-based club kind of means that that was bound to happen at some point. Um, and I, I think I've noticed a trend for a couple of years now that people people don't really seem to, to care about rivalries almost, especially geographical ones. So so no, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily bother me that people don't care about, about finishing above Tottenham. Uh, it, it worries me that people don't necessarily care about winning games or, or about games such as this, because there's still something to play for. P pride is still important um, to play for. So that that kind of irks me a little bit more than than finish or worrying about people not caring about finishing above Tottenham. But but yeah, I think for for myself, I definitely want to see Arsenal finish as high in the table as possible. I, I definitely want Mikel Arteta and the, the team to be able to go out of the season with some morale boost of, of sorts. So so I think wins are still important, even if we're not necessarily playing for a place in Europe or for for titles. Yeah. I, it is, maybe it's just me, I suppose, that, that is the kind of this inherently really kind of dislike of, of, of them and, and wanting to just see, and maybe it's also the psychological way of me justifying watching the rest of the games this season. It, it could just be that. <laughs> really trying to convince myself to do these shows straight after every single game and continue writing about Arsenal. It's just the way it goes. I, um, I could, we, we, we do like an hour after the, after the games and we've been doing these open mic shows, which I've really, really enjoyed. Yeah. And they seem to coincide with some pretty good games that Arsenal were playing Thursday. Honestly, I Thursday I felt ill physically, but mentally I couldn't bring myself to do it. Like I, I just did not want to sit around and talk about Arsenal getting knocked out of the Europa League, mm. you know, and, and and have to come up with content there. So you know, hats off to you for uh, for doing that. Because I did four shows in twenty four hours of that loss. It was, yeah, I did it all of my crazy. podcasting in one eight hour megapod last weekend, and I haven't <laughs> wanted to do it since. I decided three days prior that I was going to do a show at eight am every day, and then that happened, and I was like, I'm not going to get up after this loss to do an eight am show, which has been an absolute killer. But we did it, and we've maintained it. But yeah, it's uh, to be fair, the the, the 
the, the open mic shows that you've done, if people you haven't checked it out at the Gooners Pod on Twitter and and go onto the Gooners Podcast on 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 your YouTube apps and wherever you're finding it, um, honestly, seeing the reactions of some of the the, the fans has been great. Obviously, um, I mean, and I always come back to the reaction of the fan that was on at the same time as Kevin Campbell because his face just lights up and it's hilarious. I actually um, met him and watched the first leg of the Europa League with him in Florida uh, really? a week a week and a half ago. I met Aston. And so, you know, the, the, the Gooner family keeps getting together and, and widening. But, yeah, he, uh, he he drove down from Orlando to Sarasota, which is like a two-and-a-half-hour drive to watch the game with me. Wow. Nice. So, yeah, it's, it's great. And he it's paid me. Fun. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know what for. Um, moving quickly on, when it comes down to kind of the, where we sit now as a fan base and, and what we're expecting from where we go from here. I said earlier that this is kind of the lowest I've ever felt about Arsenal during my lifetime. And I know that Mike's already talked about being of an older generation and have experienced even lower times probably than this. Um, but it does feel more so than then because of the situation that we've got with the competitiveness in the league, with how the other teams around us spend, with how competitive they are and how much better they look than us, with the kind of the apprehension around the situation of the owners, with a, a feeling of hopelessness, I suppose is the right way to put it. Whereas previously when Arsenal were at their low points, the league was still very much a, well, you know, anyone could still win it. There's no oligarchs involved. There's no huge fees being paid for massive players constantly. There's no one that can come in and buy a team. So every season, whilst it wasn't necessarily a completely level playing field, it was nowhere near as sparse of a gap as it is now, I feel. So Chris, is it for you? Do you see a light at the end of this very deep, dark tunnel? Um, and do you see it coming sooner? Do you put? Do you have any faith in the words that we keep hearing from our benevolent owners and from Arteta himself saying that we need to be ruthless in the window and that he expects heavy backing and stuff like this. Does it fill you with any amount of hope or is it just expecting more of the same? Um, crikey, where do I where do I even start with that one? <laughs> the the Arteta quotes worry me because it, I I sort of wonder whether it's a bit of a Hail Mary from the manager, sort of almost it's almost a bit of a back me or sack me type of type of wording that he used after the game, I felt like the whole calling out Smith Road to, to improve his, his performances and, you know, being, like you said, being ruthless with the squad, so on and so forth. It just sort of came out as a bit of a almost hold my hands up and go, well, you know, I've, I've tried my best, but the, and the only way I'm going to get better and do things well is if you back me. Um, let's just skip over the fact that not 90%, that's harsh, 70% of the problems are as a result of some of his methods, in my opinion. But I am I positive? I mean... I don't know. I, I think I try and think back to the last time I sort of felt this disengaged with the club in terms of you You never, like Mike said, you never don't want to be a part of the fan base. You never sort of step away, if, as it were. Arsenal's in your blood. That's it. You know, and, and anybody who supports a football club will understand that. But there is there is there are times where you just think, oh, God. We're hard to watch, you know, and we are hard to watch on the football pitch at the moment. And the last time I probably felt like this was was 94, 95, the, the back end of the Graham era, the, the step into the real era. <laughs> oh, it, it was rough. You know, I think we finished, I want to say 12th. Oh, I, I need to look that up. But I think I think it was 12th. We finished behind sort of such giants as QPR that season. And um, it was just thoroughly depressing. And the only thing that sort of kept you going was you thought, well, it, it can't really get much worse than this. And that, that's kind of a horrible way of looking at things. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of feel like this Arsenal team is just, 
I, I, I sort of feel like we're a momentum team, and if we start well, we'll continue well. But my my big concern really this summer in particular is I think that we, I think we've got a lot of major surgery to do, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I can have full while. faith. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we seem to seem to have said it the last three, four summers. But I think this year, ab- above all else, because there's, there's players that need to come back from loan, there's players that need to possibly go out on loan, there's players that we need to get shot of. Um, I mean, let's not forget, side Kolasinac at the moment is coming back in the summer. Think about that for a minute. So <laughs> I just think there's so much to do. And, and uh, you know, I, I've said a hundred times on our pod and, and various other places I've been, I, w- I want to be wrong. I want Mikel Arteta to prove me wrong. I loved him as a player. I think he's got some very good ideas. But the longer this goes on, the more I just think he's a bit out of his depth right now. And that's what concerns me. And I, I know there's two two managers out there that I personally would think would do a fantastic job, even with the squad we've got now. Um, and I'm just, I'm just a little bit worried that if they do throw the checkbook at Mikel Arteta, even if it is you know, 40, 50 million as opposed to 150 million. I'm a little bit concerned about what he's going to spend that on. So I'm always optimistic. I try and keep positive, but my God, this season has tried my patience. I feel like anyone listening is going to hunt me down if I don't ask what the two names are. Is one of them Gautier by any chance? Yes. yes. <laughs> one, of them, one of them is definitely. And the other one is um, when you'll know well, uh, a certain Spanish national team manager. Um, oh, Mr. Just... I just sort of feel that he'd be a really good fit. There's something about him, something about the way yeah. he, he speaks, his philosophy, the way he plays, the way I think his man management's really good. Galtier is, is obviously one that I know well of, sort of following the, the French League and, and such like, and, and mm. it's pretty much accepted that he is going to move on this summer when Lille probably win the title. So his stock's never been higher. Um, but I, I kind of think that we'll, we'll end up sticking with Arteta and in probable true Arsenal tradition we'll probably stick with him and if we start the season badly next year we'll probably do exactly what we did with Emery and sack him in December and then waste another season I really hope I'm wrong though yeah I agree with you and I, uh, he would have he would have gone on Friday morning if if they were going to get, be getting rid of him you'd think right I mean because then the three games you you put in a placeholder you bring in uh who's the guy that used to always go to Chelsea for like five games at a time Avram Grant. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, not him. <laughs> the other one. Um, who's hitting? Yeah, who's hitting? You bring him in for three games and then see what happens from there. But they would have. I mean, they would have sacked him in the morning if if they yeah. really were planning on getting rid of him. In my opinion. Yeah. Do you think, Adam, that like there is any credence in in the idea that it's worth persisting with with Arteta? after this season in thinking that because I mean I've sat here with you before on shows I've gone on to your show and I've sat here and I've defended Arteta this season a hell of a lot I've kind of put my neck on the line quite a few times uh, and it has come back to bite me in the backside uh, quite heavily Um, and obviously I put out a show uh, after the game against Villarreal basically saying I think he should be sacked and I was careful to use the word should not in the case of I want him necessarily to be sacked but I felt that he should be sacked based upon what we've experienced and what's happened that's not happening. Um, and when I look at the team and I think about what what does this actually, under the current regime, under what we've seen, what do I think needs to happen for this team to improve? And I think, honestly, we need the minimum of, of five upgrades to the starting eleven, and then two backups to left-back and goalkeeper. 
And I mean, now we could arguably need six starters if you include Leno in, in, an, in a player that we need to upgrade upon, which is becoming a real reality. If you read Chris Wheatley's article, supposedly he's on the list of players Arsenal are willing to sell. So is it the right decision to persist, to, to stay around? Because I've seen like positivity. I've seen the result against Spurs at home, Leicester away, Chelsea at home, even the wins against Leeds and West Brom where we blitzed them, the away leg against Slavia Prague. I've seen all this potential that's there. I can see where, as even Arteta described, where this team can bang, as he describes it. Um, but can you? do you trust that with backing and with more players that we can achieve what we've been lacking and that key word being consistency? Possibly, possibly. And the That's reason I say that is... No, <laughs> but I look at Arteta and I can't remember when it was, but he's spoken about the type of profile and the technical quality of players that need to come in. And I look at the players that he's done that with and I, on paper, they look good. Arsenal have been crying out for a midfield enforcer in the mould of Thomas Partey for ages, absolutely ages. What does he do? He goes in and get, gets one. Um, he knows that we needed a, a number 10 to maybe replace Ozil. He goes out and get goes out to get Erdegaard, who who is a hot prospect, being a wonder kid since the age of flipping 16. Willian, as much as you know, you might love him, you might hate him. Technically, you would argue, or you would have argued that he was he was a good sign in that coming off the back of what was probably his best and most cons consistent season for Chelsea. So in terms of the profile of players that Arteta goes for, I don't, I don't, I don't think you on paper could fault him for it. So I, I think if he continues in that vein, I, I think I'm excited about the type of players that we might go for or be in for. But as as Chris kind of said, do I trust him or trust Arsenal's ability to get those players? Mm, I don't know. And I had a debate with with my friends today about how you sell the Arsenal project to a player like Kamavinga, I don't I don't know how the hell you do that. You basically just say, hey, I'll make you the star of my team, give you as much money as you want, and you can you can leave whenever you want, maybe. Because I, I don't know how you sell that above Manchester United. I don't know how you sell that above City. That's how I got my wife, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I literally don't know. So, so I, I, do, I do think that Mikel Arteta would be good uh, at profiling the right type of players, but Arsenal as a project, I don't know how we attract those players. Do, do you, the, uh, honest question, like the people that have been brought in and moved out, the, 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 the player trading, I think has been genuinely quite good. It's the players that are on the team picking which ones are going to be actually on the pitch for games where, where mm -hmm. he suffered. Like I, everyone says, I don't trust this summer. I, I actually am a little intrigued by this summer because there are mm -hmm. players the profile of Yves Basuma. Why would he not want to come to Arsenal? You know, he's not screaming out Champions League or, or nothing. He's he's a player who's on a team that's, you know, that's that's floundering, and and this would be a step up for him. Maybe not the final step, but so I, I mean, I, I think I'm excited about the 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 opportunity. I am banking on the Cronkies putting the money where their mouth is, at least on, uh, about competition. Uh, they've got a lot of other things to make up for out of this whole mess uh, that can't just be, you know, put on the back burner by buying four players this summer. But uh, I think our, our squad is going to be better than it was this year, next year, uh, whether he's the right guy to carry them over the line and continue with the project. 
has me looking at who, you know, are we hearing any kind of... I mean, well, to play play devil's advocate, though, wouldn't you say that our squad this year is better than it was last year, yet we finished lower? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings in, you know, look, if you're looking for a way of of rationalizing it, and I've tried, and and I've (laughs) come up with it, well, because, you know, there are factors. I mean, look, COVID's a factor for everybody. Uh, I genuinely think the presence of Mesut Ozil the first half of the season as an agitator had massive damage to this club's psyche, and and we saw an instant improvement when he left. Ending, that the could end be day, to it, my God. I, I, I look, I do. I, I, I think that he had to deal. He had to deal with a split dressing room. I think that the players that are the future or should be the future of Arsenal, at least out loud. You're seeing nothing but falling in line behind Mikel Arteta at this point. Tierney seems to be, you know, playing for the shirt, playing for the coach. Saka, I don't think, would ever have a bad word to say about anybody. Um, these guys, you know, I, I don't see what's happened. What happened with Emery happening with Arteta? Not yet. Um, and so, you know, I, I the only thing that has to change is Arteta has to stop overthinking things and getting in his uh, getting in his own way. As far as I'm concerned, and and you know a few good luck things go our way. Maybe we don't have ninety-seven thousand VAR calls, you know, for thumbnails being offside go against us next season. Who knows? Yeah, um, I can't. I try and justify it, and I, I've looked at kind of their recruitment, and I've said that's what's been keeping me on board. That's what I've been bringing up time after time after time is that this is the first summer last summer where we identified two positions that we've been desperately crying out for huge improvement in our centre-back role. We're getting Gabriel, a great centre-back, who I think has trailed off towards the end of this season. I think that's been more down to maybe the loss of David Luiz and the presence of holding next to him than necessarily him solely in his performances. Um, And Thomas Partey coming in, who, um, again, I don't want to keep bringing up, say, excuses as they're called, but has missed a lot of the season for injury during our worst period, which was the first half of the season, when we were then back with Granite Xhaka and Sabayas, and Sabayas has been frankly awful this season. Um, it's, I, I, but I, I keep coming back to that point, Mike. I keep coming back to we are, we are uh, recruiting better. And that goes beyond just the Arteta period. Do you go back to the summer prior? You see Martinelli come in. You see Kieran Tierney come in. Even David Luiz, I think you can look back on as an £8 million signing. He's probably justified that and more, to be honest, during his time here. Now, yes, he's made some mistakes and big ones, but I think that he's, he's done enough to justify that move. I'd rather have added up a Meccano, don't get me wrong. But I think he's justified that, that signing when it happened. You then have to play devil's advocate and go beyond just saying that we've had a better squad this season and go... But is Edu as much worthy of praise for that recruitment as Arteta? And is Edu's presence under a new coach arguably going to bring that same positive recruitment trend with a coach that might be able to get even more from this squad? Chris, I'm going to let you tackle that idea. (laughs) Does the presence of Edu cancel out the argument that Arteta is a good recruiter for the team? I'm really, I'm really not sure on this one because the, the the biggest problem you've got with the the Edu situation is that he he has backed Arteta so deep to the point where, I mean, he he's almost sort of puppeting. You know, everything is linked to the together between the two. He is the spokesman. He's carrying the can. And the problem for, for Edu is that if if Arteta fails, I don't think he's going to sack himself because why would you? 
um, it's, it would have to be a decision from above Edu. And I'm not convinced as, as much as I, um, and I got a bit of stick for this the other day, but I stand by it, as much as I, I don't think the Cronkies are brilliant owners, I also don't think, I, th- I think they could be a lot worse, let's put it that way. The one mm. thing they are is very business savvy and they're very business sound. And they're not going to leave somebody in charge of their club day to day, particularly when they're not really in the UK very often. They're not going to leave the keys to the to the car to somebody who they don't think is doing a good job. So they obviously trust Edu. And that means that Edu has to trust Arteta because he's his man. So the idea that that he would make the change and not fall on his own sword is, is a little bit worrying to me because that essentially means you've got two people whose whose reputations kind of go side by side. And and, and you've got two people that, that if one fails, they both kind of have to go. And that leaves us in a really sticky situation. The, the, what I'm really intrigued about this summer, as much as and I do agree with, with what Adam said, I, I do agree with what Mike said. I, I, do feel, I do feel like some of the player turnover will be interesting. But what will be more interesting is these two new chaps coming on to the, the footballing board side of things. Um, the names have completely escaped my brain. The guy from the Premier League. Garlic. That's the badger. Um, and there's another chap, isn't there? Another guy coming onto the... Uh, I haven't heard of anyone yet. I know, I've... They're re- I know they're re- looking to recruit more... Sc- I don't know if you saw the article by The Guardian today, but the Arsenal have employed a headhunting programme to find more scouts, even though we made 55 people Just, just fire them all anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Great idea, guys. Yeah. What we're going to do yeah. is going to fire you all and then find some new ones to replace you that we don't yeah. actually know. Fire about. them yeah, justified brilliant. by the pandemic... And then hire other people. And then bring them in. <laughs> Justified <laughs> by us sucking. They yes. basically look oh, out yeah. for Gunnosaurus and a suitcase at Paddington Station next year with with a <laughs> sort of who's who of guide to go around South America with. But um, yeah, that, that that will be interesting. I think. I think the the garlic appointment just because he he's from a football background. He's not. I think he, was he a lawyer? I think I'm right in saying when he was training. But but he's from a football football background. And he Tim clearly Lewis? knows. Oh, Tim, Richard Tim Lewis. Garlic. Oh, yeah, right, um, yeah, yeah, Tim Lewis is. Oh, it might actually be Tim Lewis. Might be getting the Tim Lewis is a lawyer, so with a, fo- with a football fan background, but with a football fan background. So the the two of those combined, I just wonder if that might bring about a bit of a change, a bit of a change about how we do our business. Yes, we got players out the door in January, but you know some of them we <laughs> had to pay off. Um, I don't think we've got too many sellable assets in this club right now, so that's going to be a challenge. Really. We, I think we have I, the most sellable assets we've had in a long time. Like, like let, sellable let in terms change of that volume or value? Sellable, value. Value. Sellable that's my, that's my of, issue. Of, of, of double-digit transfer fees that we can get for them. Not not you know, not 80 million or 100 million type guys, but, I mean, we have more 20 to 30 million pound opportunities to unload. 20 to 30 million pound yeah, players. I'm intrigued. Uh, I'm, more, more closer to 20 than 30, but you're welcome. <laughs> Mainsley, watch this scale back. Um, <laughs> Twenty quid. Bellerin, um, Nelson, maybe. Oh, 20. I think you're stretching. Um, I, I, th- I agree with you. That I think there are some. I think Willock, you can get Bamiyan. I think Willock, you can get twenty million for. I think the. If you're lucky, you can get 20 million for Bellerin. If you look at his season and you look at the fact that he wants to go and you look at the fact that we're in a pandemic, clubs are going to use all of them factors to try and lower that price down. Niketia is one. Niketia has got a year left on his deal. That's a a tricky to go and get 20 million. If Sheffield United could buy 
Rion Brewster, Brewster for 24 <laughs> million pounds, then every single but person the fact that they did that that is now alerting everyone to the fact mm. that you shouldn't do that type of thing. <laughs> Um, I mean, we got offered, mate. We got offered twenty million for Mainsley and didn't take it when he was at the top of his game for us. And now he's played a season at West Brom and half a season for us that wasn't great, and the pandemic. So it, I, I see what you're saying. I think we have a lot of sellable assets, but I just don't know about the value. Let's not forget, probably the player with the highest sell-on value that we've got right now has just returned to the club with a broken metatarsal. By the way. Because he would have probably fetched you twenty to twenty-five million pound just based on the fact he's young, and he's got a lot, you know, a lot of potential. Okay, yeah, the attitude might not five million off his price, but there's enough clubs in Europe that would want to take Matteo Ganduzzi. Um, yeah. So, but he's now injured, and there's another problem that you've got to deal with in the summer because he's going to return to the club. He's, I think, he's already back in London now. Um, and he's part of that click. Well, yeah, this is it. And and I'm I'm firmly in the camp that I would keep him because I still think there's a player there. But mm. you have to manage him right. And and that that was a massive failure last summer. And if he is gonna come back and you know, obviously we can't sell him injured, that metatarsal injury, realistically, you're looking at four to five months before he's properly match fit at the minimum. Really? That's without yeah. complications. So he's gonna be around the biggest until... sign that Arsenal when turned around. Which, I mean, surely the biggest sign that Arsenal turned around is that we go from a club that buys players with broken bones to a player, a team that sells Getting players back. with broken yeah. bones. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All, all we need now is Saliba to get cropped in the last game of the league season. And we're, we're, ah, we're <laughs> go on, Chris. Sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. No, no, no. That's that, that's just just to sort of draw a line under the, under your point and your question. Though, I just I just think the um the, the hierarchy is what's going to be key this summer because if you if if you really are going to back the manager, and I th I think I think the Cronkies have, and and the ownership have got a really big decision to make. Like Mike said, I think it's it's now time. The words that Josh has used have been very pretty, and I actually think fair play to the guy. He you know he came into that fans forum and he you know he could easily have been ripped to shreds in that. And I thought whatever you think of the guy, I thought fair play. There's some some brass tacks on him to come into that, but talk is cheap now. You know, if if Stan is is making the decisions, that's fine, no problem. But Josh has put himself front and center as as the spokesperson. Um, I saw your tweet the other day, Tom, about saying that they've never been pictured together. Well, that needs to change. They need to get around a boardroom, even if it's in a mask, and they need to come up with a proper strategy this summer. Um, and they need to be, to quote Arteta, ruthless. And that for me means stripping probably seven or eight of the first team out. Our yeah. first team squad out and replacing them with I'm not necessarily saying big names, but names of youth and names with potential and names that are actually gonna hopefully allow Arteta to, to play a, a style of play that he has talked a lot about, but we're yet to see. Yeah, I, I got a lot of stick for that tweet about um the the not being pictured because obviously immediately people said that like well there's been a pandemic on and there's travel restrictions and all that. But the, the point of the fact was is that we've employed a manager. Your club has employed a manager, and if you, Josh, is this guy that's come out and spoken time after time about how much he loves the club now and wants to be integrated and wants to be more involved, if you make a huge decision like that, if you're this billionaire, surely you can take a quick flight over to London, oversee that process, get involved and make yourself present, even in those first couple of months. I get that there's been a pandemic, but it's been 18 plus months now. Well, and, and, and how many times... 
How many times have we seen troops fly from London to New York and back and forth and back and forth? I mean, <laughs> at this point, if Elton John can get in the, the, the Watford dressing room at the end of season awards, and I'm pretty sure Josh can get us like, <laughs> come on, guys, seriously. When he, oh, when he said that during the fan forum, and was, and, I mean, with a straight face, he said that, that he had was just about ready to start, like, being in London more and so on, and then, and then the pandemic hit. I'm like, well... You know, or he was getting ready for more fan engagement, and the club was going to do this, and then the pandemic hit. I was like, "Come on, man! You, I, I can see three of you who 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 live at least you know across the Atlantic Ocean for me right now. I mean, you clearly haven't even bothered to do this. So that I don't know that yeah. jo- Josh, he did not come off well to me in that fan forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it takes balls to face off against you know the the kind of. The anger that that Akil and friends brought oh, to that, uh, just you know, but, <laughs> but but he wasn't dealing with it very well. If you listen to the audio, he was going into he was like literally shutting down like a kid, like a teenage kid who's angry at their parents. Yeah, and and someone must have nudged him like on on you know on WhatsApp or something and say you better lighten up a little bit because these one word angry answers are not going to cut it. So. Yeah, you can see it from the transcripts that he answered so many questions very, very bluntly. Uh, and that did come across as kind of dismissive. And the fact that, as you said, he didn't want to be there. It was very clear that he didn't want the tone, to. And the, the tone, tone of his voice, even. Like, and like, yeah, the, the, the it, it was just like, like I'm getting nope. mad. And yes. I'm like, I'm no. like, I wrote, I was listening to it as it was happening. I had a, I had a, a, a little gerbil moment uh, where I was able to listen to the call as it happened. And I wrote down, like, the, the exact point where he was like, Akil asked a question. He was like, yes. And I was like, this is about to go, <laughs> this is about to go crazy. And then, and then he lightened up a little bit. I think, I think yeah. I tried to save him uh, by jumping in, but yeah, that was, <laughs> was not a step in the right direction, but, but he no. did say some words that, you know, and, if he holds to them this summer, then then we'll see what happens. The whole idea about kind of like we want to do more fan engagement and just saying that and saying, um, what was it you said, that we, we were just about to do it, but then the pandemic hit. It's like you've been around for years. Like yep. you've been here yep. for years. Yep. And you're like, it's not a case of just saying, oh, we were just about to. We were going to announce this Super League fiasco and then, oh, we were going to jump into your living rooms and sit down for an episode of Gogglebox. Like it wasn't going to happen. Like <laughs> So to believe that would be mental. Um, but yes, everybody out, uh, as Luke Howard says <laughs> in the chat box. Um, unbelievable stuff, really. Uh, but we have to I, obviously... We, from the time he put that in the chat box, I went out and had a shirt created that... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We have to kind of, though, we have to look forwards. I don't want to look forwards and, and try to think. I don't want to just linger and just be a moaning session of, of what this is. And when I describe this as kind of an honest conversation about Arsenal Football Club, I want your honest views about where you think and how you think we go on from here. Because the reality is, is that Arteta is going to be here at the start of the season. The reality is, is that we're going to have a lot of these same players, because even though we feel that we need a massive overhaul and a massive surgery is the word you use, Chris, is that the likelihood is, is that what we want and what arguably needs to happen is not going to be realistic for this summer window. And more needs to happen still behind the scenes with Richard Garlic coming out. I think it's good that we're, we're emphasising kind of the backroom staff is getting a change and maybe the Super League can be a bit of a blessing in disguise, a bit of a kick up the backside. Maybe we'll have to wait and see if, if the words that they told us are a load of rubbish or not. But Adam, when it comes down to kind of your vision of the summer and how Arsenal tackle this, 
what is it what what is it that you want to see and and be as unrealistic as you like mate i want to know your vision for the club and what you want to see the club do this summer uh i don't even know what ruthless means um what what the first thing, the <laughs> first thing I'd like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. i think i think yeah, she, like she was in the 55 redundancies that's what, that's <laughs> what we know, ruthless ruth yeah. from accounting yeah she's been she's been sacked off um <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think I want honesty. That's that's what I want. I don't I don't want um links with players that are unrealistic. I don't want noise about us going after players that, that we're never gonna get. Um I want transparency and I want openness. That's the that's the very first thing. And I do want surgery to take place. I do want us finally to get rid of these fringe players that have been uh, hanging around for ages that have gone out on loan that I thought were cast into the wilderness and have all of a sudden come back and found a place in, in Arsenal's team. Um, I want I want players who are clearly not good technically to be in our, our squad anymore. I want them gone. Uh, and I just want a nice core group of players that we know we can rely on in the biggest moments, who play consistently, who don't make mistakes and who can get us back to, at the very least, the Europa League places without it being a, a fight. I don't want I don't want us maybe 30 games in to say, oh, we're four points off the Europa League. We need, to, we need another team to do us a favour. I want us to be in the Europa League at the very least by our own merit. Uh, and then going on from there, I, 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 want, I want players to be excited about. I don't want to look at my midfield and think, meh. I, w- I want a team or a midfield pivot that I look at and I said, you know what? That is the apple of, of Real Madrid's eye. I wonder when they're going to come calling for, for one of our players. That I, I want to be excited about Arsenal again. And I, I look at games and I'm just like, I'm going to watch because I support Arsenal. But if if it weren't for my, my loyalty, I would not care. I don't want to want to do something else to watch Arsenal. I want to be able to sit down Saturday, think, yep, I'm locked in. Nothing else is 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 important. Everything else is secondary. Arsenal are my focus right now, and and that hasn't happened for a long time. Now I, I think I think that Adam doesn't want to see Onani and Sabas as a pivot next season. Just, there we just, go. Thank you. Just to let me know if I've grasped your opinion correctly. Um, no, I, I I know what you're saying, and and I love the way you use the words uh, that you want our players to be the apple of Real Madrid's eye, and I feel like. There is potential of some of them to be, Bukayo Saka, of course, and some of the youngsters that we're bringing through. I think there's a potential for that. But it has always been kind of the Achilles heel of this club to not seize the day, not build upon when there is potential there. You know, think back to the summer where only Petr Cech came in, for instance, that type of summer window. There is potential in this squad. We've seen it, as I'll use that word again, bang, this season. We've seen it happen. We've seen what it's capable of. It is about consistency. So, Mike, what's, what's your vision for this team in the summer? Early transfers, of course. <laughs> Early transfers. Not, none of this August thirty first BS anymore. I mean, we we need, and I know that there's a Euro this summer, uh, but we players have been signed before the summer tournaments in the past. Uh, they generally don't get. Right now. They don't generally. Well, and it's a Euro. It's not a World Cup. So I mean, it's it only applies to European players. But um, it just needs to be business taken care of instead of dithering. I mean, honestly, Thomas Partey, who knows how much of his maladjusted season was because he came in literally on the last day of the transfer window, which was even later than it normally would have been because of the late start to the season. I mean, 
I think it was mid-September by the time he came in. He gets hurt. He's, uh, you know, I, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. Um, and a lot of that's attributed to to just dithering by, by Arsenal. We could, no one else was in for him. He had a release clause. You know, whatever the stories were from the bell um, about, about it, I mean, it, it didn't. It didn't go down the way that it should have gone down. So early transfers, happy to bring in some Premier League-ready players. I mean, Basuma, more than what I've seen out of him, because I really don't watch a lot of Brighton matches, um, he clearly knows how to play in the Premier League. He requires no adjustment. He, you know, would seem a logical addition to our midfield. And so, you know, why would that transfer need to wait until the last days of the transfer window? Um, that's not how the other teams generally do it. So that's my vision is, is just to, to overhaul this team, show intent. Don't wait around for things to fall in your lap. And then they don't, don't wait on a player and watch him go to one of our supposed rivals who are now, you know, leaving us in their dust and, and make a statement of intent. I mean, we're not buying Jack Grealish, but we could easily buy people who are, you know, at the, verge of becoming world-class or, or near world-class players. And, and uh, if, you know, if we have to sell them on because they're too good for us in two or three years, which I hope won't be the case. So be it. We need to get there first. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's a case of, I don't expect Thomas Partey's in every position. Uh, the Basuma one is a great shout. And to bring your point in about kind of the, the getting them in early, like, Imagine this season if Chelsea had had Thomas Tuchel from the start and they brought through, uh, they'd already got in Ziyech and, and Werner, they both came in well before the season started. Could have potentially won the Champions League if they did that. Arguably, you know, <laughs> they could have potentially won the Championship this season if, if they'd have had Tuchel in from the start. I know, and I'm not the biggest advocate of him for Arsenal. I think he's very kind of, I think he's very suits that group of players that he's got at Chelsea, especially with kind of the, the links with some of those that are there. Um, I think it's like it will take a different type of manager to take Arsenal forwards eventually when Arteta's time maybe runs out. Or, you know, maybe it's him. Who knows? Unlikely at this stage. But it is about getting stuff done early. It's about being a little bit more mature. I think is the word in in the transfer window and not like a kid on a FIFA game on transfer deadline day where you can click the button to go for every hour of the window trying <laughs> to sign a new player. Um, but it's it needs to be done in a more professional way. And maybe as we talked about earlier, the executives coming in change that. Now, Chris. Does your vision involve a certain Ren midfielder um, coming into the club in any way, shape or form? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Martin Terrier. I uh, always have been. Um, yeah, I mean... Chris look. was the first person to ever say the word Mbappe to me um, <laughs> when he was like 12 and, and Wenger was having coffee with his mom. Um, <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll always remember that you're like, there's this new kid that's coming up that's going to be really good one day. He's killing Mbappe. And then you used like his last name, which I thought was Mbappe, but there was something else after that. And, Mbappe uh, Lottin. Yeah. Yeah. Lottin. Yeah. Yeah. I, remember those I was days. like, what does this guy know about French football? <laughs> <laughs> who, who is this fraud? Um, yeah. I mean, for, for, for clarity, I probably get more wrong than I get right. So I can't take all the credit on that one. But, um, yeah, I, I look. I think I think Eduardo Camavinga is is a is a wonderfully talented young player, and there's there's two two scales of thought on this one. One is for me the only reason we're being linked with him at the moment is because he's had a shocking season, um, yeah. and I don't say that kind of lightly. But if he'd have had the season that he had when he broke through, 
um, it, which which garnered him three French national team caps. Uh, it got him a, a lovely new boot deal, and uh, and he was he was the toast of Rennes, and, and very much at the time when Julien Stefan was was the Rennes manager, they were in the Champions League, they were playing sort of free flowing, expansive football, and then they had a spell at the start of the season where it just all went wonky, and Rennes' form fell off a cliff. They lost a, a number of games, obviously went out the Champions League very early. And it was their first time in the Champions League. So it was a very brief kind of uh, drop into that. And with that, Camavinga's stock, I wouldn't say plummeted, but it, it definitely went off the radar. He wasn't being talked about half as much as he was previously. Of course, you have to throw in the pandemic as well, because Real Madrid were were very keen on him. And and the, the talk was that they would go for Mbappe at the same time as Camavinga and pair the two together. And, and you know, that's that's very unlikely to happen now. So the idea that Camavinga would cost some uh, cost a team in the region of sort of 50 to 60 million, which he would have done, I think now realistically you're probably looking in the 25 to 30 million pound bracket, which for me is still unattainable for, for Arsenal right now because that's basically our budget for the summer, I think. Um, obviously, I don't, know, I don't know that for for, uh, for for a guarantee sake, but I think without sales, I think we're, we're spending maximum 30, 35 million this summer. Um, even with sales, I don't think we're spending much more than that. And the problem you've you've got is that the minute you go after a player like Kamavinga, you're going to immediately get into a bidding war. Um, and I genuinely think that he would attract the interest of of clubs that are in and around us, but on a higher plane. You know, I, th- I think like a, if you think that Liverpool potentially might might lose Genie Wijnaldum this summer, he's a very very good fit for that role potentially for a Liverpool side. Um, you know, he he would slot into there quite nicely. Manchester United are probably going to move on uh, Donny van der Beek this summer, which is kind of hilarious. Um, Fred was never really good enough for them. You know, maybe they might have a look, although I suggest that they might be spending their money elsewhere. That's just two English clubs. Um, he he would probably be a Pep type of player if Pep didn't have the midfield he's got, but I don't think he really need him. And then as far as the European market, he's very unlikely to stay in France. I think that's fair. And if he does, PSG would be the only club that that he would go to. But I think there's plenty of teams in Germany and a few in Spain that will have a look at him. And uh, I know that Nabil Fakir's success in in Betis has, has turned a lot of French players' sort of eyes in terms of the Spanish mm-hmm. league. There was this little bit of, you know better than I do, Tom, but there was a bit of an element of, oh, do French players really succeed in, in Spain? Because Griezmann was the only one that really stood out. Yeah, um, but, changing. Um, yeah, it is changing massively. I, mean, I like Kevin Gamera. I think he's done really well since. Oh, Gamera's. Brilliant. Ben yeah. Yedda did all right at Sevilla as well. So, ben, you know. well, Ben Yedda basically transformed his career. I mean, he was he was mm. really doing not very much, and he had that season at Sevilla, and you know probably could have got a bigger move than the Monaco, if truth be told. But yep. yeah, I just I I I sit in the camp of I can't see it happening. Uh, I hate to to pee on people's fireworks, but I, I don't just think, think people have their expectations too high. <laughs> to no. And, yeah. and and do you know what it do you know what it smacks of as well? It smacks of an agent looking at his client and going. I'd really like to move my player out of a club like Ren. I'd really like quite a big move. Who can I use as a big club as leverage to get the other clubs involved? Oh, I know Arsenal aren't doing very well. Let's drop their name into it. Um, mm-hmm. And it just reminds other clubs that actually this kid is is potentially available. And make no mistake, you know, as, as much as I, I love watching the French League, 99% of the players that play in France are available for transfer at the right price. So he will go. I don't, I don't doubt that, but I'd be very, very surprised if if he ends up in North London, either red or white side. 
There you go. So if you needed any more information on uh, Kamavinga, then there you go. It's all I love, there. I love Danny's comment in the chat. It, it, What's he it, said? What's Dan, he said? Danny and I are like an old married couple because he, he read the look on my face while you guys were having that conversation perfectly. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like this is the part of the podcast where I don't even have to worry about Tom going to me for my opinion on this because <laughs> I don't have 161 hours a week to watch other leagues football. So. Oh, so you're saying we have nothing to do <laughs> every and time you, i see you you're, you're in front of that 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 moving background so you have to be doing something with your time yes, and, you and if, if you ask back. if you ask danny who he was he'd say who's this camel finger danny wouldn't even know how to say his name <laughs> so there you go <laughs> me. right we are moving on to the section of the show where we go through as many of your questions as feasibly possible so if you do have one for the guys please make sure you put them into the chat use the capital q so I can see them much more easily amongst the mess uh, throughout the chat box. So let's crack on uh, with what you guys are talking about. Scroll up to where we've got the newest ones. Here we go. Uh, Adam, Matt G says, what reason will Arteta give for not starting Martinelli for the rest of the season? A, tactical. B, injury. Or C, he hates him. Matthew, it has to be C. I do not understand why he's not playing that young man. I I don't get it. It's, I've I've tried making the same excuses for him. So mm, maybe it's this. No, I don't know anymore, bro. I don't know. I'm sorry. Maybe he does hate him. Fair enough. Uh, Lenny, who, uh, to be honest, I can't, anyone called Lenny, I can't help but picture Lenny from The Simpsons. I don't know why. It just always comes to my mind. See, this is a generational <laughs> thing. I, I think of Lenny and Squiggy from uh, from Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> I'm sure someone younger than me will be able to name a different Lenny from some very PC children's program that's out today. Um, Lenny says, honestly, guys, do you think that we have seen the best years of Arsenal? This is to you, Mike, by the way. I'm afraid very, I'm very, I'm afraid, very afraid that we have and I really don't see a way back from this with the current management. We have seen the very best years of Arsenal, as in like we're now a mid-table yeah, club. Do you think that we'll ever see the likes of what we'd seen when we were fighting for championships, even arguably a consistent top four club? Do you think we'll ever get back to those heights? I, I could see us getting back to being a consistent top four club, but I just think the game has changed so much that if the game doesn't, have a, some sort of reckoning what what financial fair play was I thought supposed to do you know Arsenal was always planning to basically be standing on the top of the mountain when, when after the earthquake and the earthquake is just keeps getting postponed and postponed and as a result we're still we're still at the bottom of the mountain and 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 so I don't know that I mean I don't know how you can win a championship in this league without a, a tremendous amount of luck in selling players or a tremendous amount of money in, you know, to throw around. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's changed. So under this ownership, under this financial situation that the league is in where, 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 you know, countries are owning teams and, and billionaires spending billions of dollars of their own money uh, on it. I, I don't see it. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't challenge and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be, you know, putting our our, our mindset to, to to fourth place. Do I think that we're going to be seeing regular eighth, ninth, and tenth place finishes? No, no. I think this is a blip. But competing for championships, uh, Adam, you know, Adam's face. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> no, I, I I do still hold on to the fact that this this is this is this is the worst it gets, in my opinion. Um, and you can clip that. <laughs> 
and 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 play it on loop next season when we when we're you know playing massive six pointers in the relegation battle in uh, in April. Uh, but I think this is the worst it gets. I think this is our 1995, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go hire an unknown manager uh, <laughs> to take over the club. But that's why we are where we are, Mike. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we, I, you know, I got this great idea. We should hire Kovac. Uh, oh. <laughs> you know, I I I don't know where I got that idea from in all caps, but I think we really need oh, you actually picked up on that. <laughs> I don't get like in the chat box, like I don't understand. You got a lot of people putting across their points of view, and there's always this one person that's like, I must let you must hear what I'm saying. Here's the capital letters. <laughs> it's just 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 I was gonna normally. comment about it at the time, but I but you know, I didn't want to ruin the I, I never interrupt anyone on a podcast, so I, I, I very quickly, Chris Kovac Monaco. I mean, I wasn't that impressed with him at door uh, at Dortmund at Bayern Munich, but is he is he been good? I know they're in the title race arguably this season, but is he is he one to look at? He, he's been brilliant. I mean, I, I'm I'm like you. I I saw him coming in and I looked at it and I thought this is going to go one of two ways. He's either going to come in and it's going to be a massive failure, and he's going to be one of those managers where you look back in ten years and go, oh yeah, he managed Bayern Munich, and and he's now <laughs> managing like you know, Bromsgrove Rovers or something. But no, to his immense credit, he's he's done really, really well. He also has his brother, if I'm not mistaken, who's on the coaching staff there. Um, and yeah, he's transformed that monitor. You're saying cycle. we should get him instead. <laughs> yeah, get his brother in. Yeah, get his brother in. Is Kovac just the guy that was managing Munich when they came to LA to play against Arsenal? Was he? Yeah. I was in the press sense. conference that day. That was the time that my alarm went off in the press conference. And and, and he came in first before Unai Emery <laughs> did. And um, so yeah, I, I love that, that story. Was I mean, there's probably a lot more listeners now. So please, please retell that story for the listeners that don't know. When Mike was in a press conference and his he set his alarm for soup. God, <laughs> tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, so summer of 2019, I was on a mad, mad diet. I lost like, let me convert this into stone. I lost almost five stone in three months, um, and. Uh, and part of the diet was I ate every three hours. I ate like a, a, a protein bar or a, like a shake, like a low-cal chocolate shake. And at, and, and at 6 p.m. I would eat soup. Um, and or 9 p.m. Who I eats? Hold on. Who eats soup? <laughs> Soup's a liquid, bro. <laughs> I, I, I eat. I eat. I drink a soup in one of these little containers because I'm back on that diet again. <clears throat> so anyway. I stopped the diet when I went to Denver for that summer tour because I'm like, I'm not going to be drinking soups, uh, you know, at, at these games. And I set, I had my alarm set for 12, 3, 6, and 9. And we somehow, Andy and I talked our way into getting media passes for this tour. And we're in L.A. at the stadium uh, the night before the game. I, th I think they had just done an open practice. And Unai Emery and Granite Xhaka are standing, are sitting at the table. And I'm just following. I see Ars Blog. I see James Bet. Everyone puts their phones up at the table and hits the voice memo uh, so that they can record it. So I do the same thing. Thing starts at 5.58 p.m. And stupid-ass magic, unmagic Mike forgets to turn his, uh, his, his alarm off. And literally the first question that's asked, all of a sudden, Nunai's going, someone's phone, someone's phone. There, there's video of it that I have, which is, I mean... It, I don't it, think it, that it, sounds like Unai Emery, Mike, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like... And, and, I, and, and so I had to do the walk of shame in front of, like, 
in front of the, the whole Arsenal staff, in front of all the, the press and media. Sophie was there, and she was laughing her ass off at me. Was Granite uh, Jacker the, the player? Yeah, Granite Jacker was sitting there, and you could see this old-looking fat guy balding. You can see me walk up, take my phone away, and Granite Jacker like, shoots me a look like, I will kill him. <laughs> but, yeah, so oh, soup has been dude. a big part of my life for the last few years, apparently. Unbelievable scenes. Got the kettle to, to show for it, you know? But yeah, that... Uh... Oh, dearie me. Brilliant stuff. Fantastic stuff. Um, next question. Uh, Chris P. Uh, this is to Chris from Chris. says, uh, our youngsters are the only shining light right now, especially those from the academy. They're the ones who must have this club in their heart. Do you agree? And if so, do you keep the likes of Joe Willock and Mainsley? One of the two, yeah. And I know we we disagree on this one, Tom, but yeah, for mm. me, I mean, I, I, I do agree with Chris's point. I think I think he makes a good point. The youngsters are pretty much the shining light. They're, they're certainly the ones that we need to work hard to keep around. I thought um, I thought Andrew made a really good point on, on our blog today when, when he was talking about William, uh, unfortunately. And... Um, <laughs> He was saying the sort of the Reese Nelson debate. Now, don't get it wrong, I don't think Reese Nelson is the second coming of Messi at all. But he, he was sort of essentially saying that if you'd have given the same minutes to Reese Nelson as you'd given, given to Willian, mm. would it have been that much different? And I, I genuinely don't think it would have been. In fact, I think you probably would have got a little bit more out of a player yeah. who, you know, it means a little bit more to and it, and he's at a turn of his career where even if it's not at Arsenal, he'd want to make an impression to get a move elsewhere, as he did when he went on loan to, to Hoffenheim. So, yeah, I do think you need to invest in 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 the, the youth. Uh, we mentioned earlier on, but Saliba's another one that if we don't give that kid a first-team shirt next year, we, I mean, somebody needs shooting at, at the club if we sell him. But seriously, that, that, I know I'm slightly biased from the league he's from, but He's got everything that, that no we foul right language now. on this podcast, but lots of violence. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Shooting rubber bullets, of course, <laughs> rubber bullets. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he he should be put in. And and for me, Joe Willock, I, I just I just see a player there. Um, again, is he a player that that is going to be elite level? Probably not. But um, you know, I'm I know not everyone agrees with this. I I never thought Aaron Ramsey was elite level. I thought he was a very decent central midfielder who got you, you know, got you a decent amount of goals and spent a long period of time injured. That's he's just proving that you I mean, yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the fact that he's potentially coming back, and that's not a slate yeah. on him. You know, no, he's a no. very talented midfielder, as was Jack Wilshire, unfortunately, with injuries. But I just feel that Willock deserves an opportunity to play the games, and I don't, I don't think you'd get anything less out of him, you know, playing him than, than you would have playing some of the players. I, I love Moa Nene, but would there be a huge amount of difference? You know, different roles, I get that. So I would keep him. Maitland-Niles is a different one because I I get it. I get that he's talented, but I don't think he's quite as talented as maybe he thinks he is. And I certainly don't think he's um, he's good enough as a midfielder at a, at a sort of a high-end club. I think you can do that at West Brom when you're basically fighting the drop and, you know, you, you're going down, basically. I think as a as a backup fullback, I think he's missed an opportunity. I think he, he could easily have taken Hector Bella in spot this year uh, comfortably. And, and he chose to persist with the role that he feels he's better in. Fair play to him, but that's the reason he's at West Brom now and not at Arsenal. So I'd cash in with him. I'd cash in on Nketiah. But yeah, I'd keep Willock. Um, and I'd like to Nelson. see a couple. 
Nelson, I, th I think I would probably move on. At the very least, I'd say to him, maybe give him pre-season and see what, what he's got. Because, you know, who'd have thought Smith Rowe would have been in integral to the first team last pre-season? Um, mm -hmm. Saka, you could see it. But Smith Rowe, you know, you thought he might get the European games, but he's played a lot more than any of us would have thought. So, um, but the, and there's a few in, in the youth academy. Aziz is, is probably the biggest one that everyone's talking about. Mm. I'd like to see him right. involved. Um, and the kid at Swindon has done really well, hasn't he? Uh, or Matt played at Blackpool, Matt Smith. Yeah. So, um, you know, chuck him into pre season if, if pre season exists this year. I don't know if it does or not. But um, yeah, yeah give, we're, give playing, we're playing a game against, uh, we're, we're playing the, uh, the Derby of, uh, of that asshole. Yes, we are. We're playing the the we're avenging the the incident at Ibrox is what we're doing. Oh, Rangers, of course. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah. Um, and that was the weirdest link of all time, the Glen Camara link last week. Yeah. What was yeah. that about? I've actually got a tactical breakdown in implants coming up. So uh, I'll be interested. God yeah. bless him, but really, um, yeah. So <laughs> no, I think it's a great point, Chris. And yeah, the the youth is the way because at the end of the day. If they're Arsenal, you're going to cheer for them, even if even if they don't get it right, you're going to back them. True. Yeah, you always want to see them. I think there's, I think that what I think Arsenal have ultimately failed to do uh, of late with the youth is I think recognise that that you need to continue kind of the cycle. I feel like Enketi has been given too many chances, uh, and we should have moved on to say Balogun before. And I hope we don't make that same mistake with some of the other youngsters that come through because there's some really exciting kids going through. I pray that we can tie it down. Uh, Kido Taylor Hart, he's a really interesting one to be keeping your eye on as well. Kurjan, the, the young Romanian kid as well, is a really interesting one to look at. Of course, we know all about Balogun and Muller. He's about Muller, uh, who Muller. of course uh, joined us from uh, Malmo in Sweden and is very highly rated. We spoke to his uh, former coach on the pod, and he's very, very highly rated, believe it or not. So there's some interesting guys uh, coming through, and you should keep your eye on them for sure. Um, let's go, Adam, for Jasha, who says, uh, question, can you really see us splashing out? We still have to pay back that £120 million loan. Quickly, though, Jasha, what I'll say is that you don't need to worry about that. That's that's completely separate. Um, says, with no European football, and then they're supposed to be splashing out in the summer. The question simply, Adam, do you see us going for a big, big summer window? No, Jashar, I do not. You I... can elaborate more if you like. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I will do. I will. I think I can see it being busy and not necessarily for bringing in players, uh, possibly, probably for get, getting more players out, uh, probably for having links to certain players as well. But I don't, I don't think we're gonna splash out, especially in how I understand the, the term. Um, yeah, I don't see us going out and spending big on two or three players. I think it will be small little fixes. Um, maybe one, one player that gets us gets us excited. But other than that, no, I don't see us splashing out because it's just not the Arsenal way, is it? Really. Speaking of splashing, what are you, what are you drinking, Tal? Uh, I am drinking. <laughs> I was waiting for you to ask this question. I genuinely was. How long is, is it going to recognize is it this? It's a funny colored drink. No, this, this, I'm, I'm going to try not to sound too feminine when I say this, but that is a blood orange gin, mate, and it's very nice. <laughs> I thought it was iron brew. I'm not going to lie. Is it no. indigenous? It's, can you imagine drinking iron brew in this glass? <laughs> That's a fancy guy. I'm telling it's you, the, a, the, the man is almost ready for retirement. I mean, he's an OAP in disguise. I, I love a gin. No, I'm gonna be. I'm not. It's not. I'm not shameful about it at all. I enjoy a gin and tonic. It's, it's just, you be, man. You also enjoy a Jack Daniels and. Uh, 
JD yeah. Honey, yes, is very nice with a lemonade. And so. then when you have one, you end up like this. <laughs> very oh, true. Man. Oh, How long man. did it take you to find that picture? <laughs> it, I have it in I have it in its own compartment. You have a Tom folder in your phone, is what you I have, have a Tom Canton folder in my Let's phone. Let's just say that picture, we are in Highbury there. We're staying in one of the apartments. You are you were literally nude on the north bank of Highbury. Finally, you got Hold to on. Do I it. was never naked in an apartment with you. I've I seen, laid I've out seen no clothing in this. Take, well, clearly, okay, maybe there's a little. Clearly, there's a t-shirt. Hint of a t-shirt there, but other than that, <laughs> I would not sleep with at least seven layers on if I was the same place. <laughs> Dearie me. Um, let's move on to the next question, uh, which comes from uh, Abishek Mike, who says, "Has Arteta improved any player in his tenure with us? I think this is one quality that he lacks: player development slash management." Um, he, he's improved. Emmy Martinez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, there's, I, I mean, you could, you, you, it depends on whether you want to attribute this to him or not, but there are players who have improved over the last year. Um, and they're, you know, Bukayo Saka's improved over the last year. I don't put that down to Arteta. Pepe has improved over the last six months. Um, our, our defenders, uh, in general, aren't making the same stupid mistakes as often as they used to. So, yeah, I mean, but again, you never know whether that's coaching or a natural progression of a person's career. Um, you can certainly look at players who have regressed, but that was, that's been happening. Like I was saying in the chat, that's been happening ever since, you know, Arsene Wenger was here. You'd see guys come in, be lights out and then regress. I think almost everyone that he brought in did that with the exception of Alexis Sanchez. So, mm. um, I, I, Man management is more important to me than 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 anything else, and that's where he's fallen short. But uh, you know, sure, players have have certainly improved in their tenure under Arteta. I don't think he's making players worse. I think he is expecting things out of them that they're not used to having to do. Um, but uh, you know, I I reject that the that that he's making players worse just because some of our players have regressed over the last season. I don't think that that's on Arteta. Fair enough. Um, Dion Gene says, uh, do you think we should have kept Mizzentat's Chris to attract good youngsters? Uh, and do you scouting-based recruitment rather than super agent-based deals via Kia Jurabchit? Uh, I mean, I, I don't like the Kia Jurabchit thing. I'll, I'll, put my, I'll put my sort of foot firmly in the sand on that one. Not not a fan of the super agents thing, but you know what? It's the modern era. It's it's kind of the way business works now, um, and it's that kind of if you can't beat them, you got to join them. Sometimes you have to get into bed with the devil. Um, that's just the way it is. So I kind of get it, but I'm not a fan of it. As regards Mislintat, I think I think it's a little bit of revisionism, to be honest. I think I think it's very easy to say now, or oh, we should have, could have, would have. I think if Mislintat had come in under the regime now, it would have been very different to the one that he came in with at the time, if that makes sense. The one that I think we really missed was, uh, you probably appreciate this from Tom, is, is Monchi. And I know that some people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, he's, he's made some bad signings too. Like, yeah, absolutely. But at least... Yeah, exactly. I've been. I would. I would agree with you. I don't think he has, but some people would say he has. But he's. I say who hasn't. Uh, as I said, like, who hasn't made a bad signing? Yeah, there? exactly, exactly. And you know, everybody makes mistakes, but on the whole, his reputation is is that of a very, very good um, acquis, acquis, 
acquisitioner. That's not even a word, is it? I've made it up. But hey-ho. Acquirer. He, he, is it acquirer? acquirer. That's the word. There we go. We'll go with that one. Um, he acquires top talent. Um, so I think I think that's probably the one we missed out on. But yeah, I mean, as for attracting good young players, I, I think if you're a... I think if you're a young professional, you don't join a club like Arsenal because they've got a, a lovely uh, director of young players. You join a club like Arsenal because you're ambitious and you quite fancy a 12th place finish. I'm joking. I'm joking. Join but, uh, the play for Steve Bold is what you do. That's yeah. what you do. Exactly. Who wouldn't want to do that? Um, and you join to see Little Vic and the Acres. No. Um, yeah, I think you you join you join a club like Arsenal because you back yourself as a young player. You don't necessarily join just because your favourite coach is there. So, uh, yeah, he's doing a very, very good job, I should say. It's Stuttgart, isn't it? Um, but, yes. yeah, I, I think it's all a little bit woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know? Yeah. I I, I do I do kind of wish that, I'd, that we'd been able to kind of see it through in a way and see what could have happened maybe with him there. And it was a short period. And obviously the, the combination of him and Raul was never going to work. You bring in someone that loves to identify hidden gems and bring players through with someone that is all about agents and then bringing in these big kind of personalities. And it's just not a mix that's going to happen. Um, and obviously it's led us down a path where eventually both of them have left. So we know that it didn't work. Um, P. Trim uh, in the chat says, Tom, I've heard the term sticking to our values at our as an overseas fan, can you explain what it means in the context of moving forwards? Um, I mean, Chris and Mike have obviously been Arsenal fans longer than me. Maybe I'd correct me if I say anything wrong. If they believe there's anything extra, Adam, of course, feel free to chip in as well. But in my view, and from like supporting Arsenal, basically two halves of my life being what I well, I suppose two halves is probably a little bit harsh, but maybe two thirds was very much what I looked at as maybe the Arsenal values and the Arsene Wenger tenure showed that off quite a lot in trying to play good football and trying to do things in an honest way in signing players and developing them. And sometimes you sell them on, sometimes you you keep them and they develop at the club and, and also it, the spirit of the game comes into it. Like I can't see a, an Arsenal that was the value of Arsenal being represented in a club that were going to a Super League, for instance. I don't look at that as the value of Arsenal and what I associate with Arsenal in any way. Um, I, I look at it as, as a club that has tried to do things as best as possible in previous times in the right way. Um, and that has been lost. Uh, I think that it is what I will say to play devil's advocate to that whole argument in 2021, it is very difficult to, for a club, I feel, at the top of the game in the European stage to stick to what you would describe as values if you want to have continual success. You might be looking at Man City and, and what they've done and they spent money and they bought in some really good players. But, I mean, their owners, you look into the backgrounds, it's, it's not a pretty reading. Um, the, the closest I can look to is, is Liverpool for the way that they've obviously recruited, sold really well, bought really well, uh, play good football, have bought in a good coach, stuck by him in, in some difficult times and reap the rewards of it. But, I mean, you look behind their owners, it's not all going to be sunshine and roses either. Uh, it's very, very difficult. I mean, Mike, is there anything I've kind of missed that you think Arsenal values are associated with the club and what we used to have for an overseas fan perspective? Yeah, to me... I'm, I'm going to go the complete opposite of the things that you're talking about. I'm just going to talk about how, how you know how you treat people uh, in in the club, yeah. uh, in other clubs. I mean, that you know, there there are some people, Ken Fryer, um, you know, amongst them. Uh, you know, Arsene Wenger clearly had had this in him as well. But I mean, it goes well 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 back before 1996. 
of the club being more involved in the community, more of a beacon of, of, of Islington uh, rather than a business in Islington, um, you know, and, and people were treated appropriately. Um, Arsenal has always been at the forefront of uh, ethnic and racial and, and religious awareness and fairness. And, you know, I mean, every club has, you know, unfortunate things in their fan base, but, you know, Arsenal have never been the club that, have been, uh, you know, noted as being troublesome in those areas, um, which, you know, I, I think speaks a lot. Um, I think we're losing all of that because the generation of people who were stewards of that, of the Arsenal way and the Arsenal values are all either dying out or being forced out by the current ownership group. And they have just demonstrated on the largest stage of them all that they don't understand what the values at Arsenal are. Even if there, you know, there's not a, a, a ten commandments of Arsenal values, um, or as you know, we call them here in the U.S. Uh, a constitution. Um, <laughs> we won the war, by the way. Now um, <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't have that, and so it's kind of left to the individual to define what uh, what sticking to our values means. I can tell you that we haven't been. You know, the redundancies, the the, I mean. Literally, as silly as it is, the Gunnersaurus thing. If you know the story behind that, they they got rid of the guy, not the outfit, and they brought back the outfit, but not the guy. Saving them what? Almost getting rid of Mark Brindle, uh, supporters club liaison, and a true Arsenal man who was really the most important link between the club and its supporters groups overseas and and in England. Um, I mean, it just, it, it shows, I'm not answering P Trim's question because I don't know how we move forward, but we're, but the values at Arsenal, you know, the stories that we've heard from ex players and from journalists who have, you know, followed the club, you know, longer than you've been alive, um, are examples of what is missing now. When you hear Kev Campbell and Alan Smith and, and, um, and, and Lee Dixon talk about well how the club was back in the eighties and nineties and. And, and even before that, it, it almost makes me cry that the club is just not that club anymore, not having any Arsenal DNA on the board. In fact, actively pushing them away. It, it just, it's not the same club. And that's what worries me the most. But then I'm not going anywhere though. <laughs> They're not going to lose I was me. Gonna say, just to, just to follow up on that. Would you, would you take success if it meant that there's more of an erosion of, of Arsenal's identity or, or culture? That that that's that's an excellent question, and you know, short term, it feels great. But like you know, I, I if if we had, I mean, I don't know what that would mean necessarily because at this point, taking success is really just about paying a, a crap load of money and putting a bunch of Galacticos out there and winning. I mean, with rare exceptions, the Leicester City season, for example. But yeah. so. You know, I don't know what we would have to do against our values to achieve success in the short term, but but ultimately, no, I'm 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 not I'm not a guy who wants to win at all costs. There are costs sometimes to winning. And you know, that's just perspective of an old man who's you know who's who's lived through some stuff and and you know, sporting and non-sporting. And is I, I'd rather be proud of my club than lift up a champion's scarf uh and and feel like we've just yeah. brought ourselves down to the level of a Chelsea or 
or a Manchester City. It's easy to say that when we're not winning things, but but no, I I, I don't think I would. I I the the dream is to be able to do both. Mm. Chris, I th- I mean I, I couldn't really say a lot more than what Mike said there because I just think he summed that up perfectly and and the point mm. Adam made as well about you know the idea of of what what do you trade what do you lose to gain success um you know i chelsea have won a champions league but i still remember them as the team that had cars parked behind the goal you know so you you can buy success and uh, one thing that i i must admit i took a little bit of umbrage at um a certain tweet that i saw from a it wasn't but it was from a, a chap mike mike knows pretty well actually and he was talking about <laughs> chelsea i'll just leave that one there but um oh. it, it was just such a strange <laughs> tweet. That long. <laughs> <laughs> no it was such a strange tweet because it got it got so much again you're talking about guns this is the second time yeah, in the, sorry. In one podcast. <laughs> i apologize it got so much traction and, and positive responses from from our so-called fans, and I was like, are you, "What? Like, are you, mm. and, and I hate I hate to sort of paint you know paintbrush with the youth etc. But I can only think that it was a lot of fans. Even younger I just I can only sort of think of it as people that have just grown up not knowing any Chelsea under any other different ownership, or or to a lesser degree, Man City. Um, you know, we still whatever success Chelsea have got, you still have to remember that they are run by a guy with a very, very shady past who a lot of people still don't really know a lot about. Um, a guy who, you know, could easily have bought ourselves Spurs or Fulham before he sort of stumbled across Chelsea, wasn't picky. And and he has essentially bought that club into the shape it's in now. Has he made a positive influence? Yes. But when Chelsea fans look back on this in 10, 20, 30, 40 years when he's gone, and they're probably 12th in the table. They'll be 12th in, the, in League One. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and because that's, they'll have a, a £2 billion pound loan that they have to pay back. Precisely. And and that's where, you know, I, I, I do understand people that may not like Man United, and I'm not a huge fan, but uh, I'm certainly not a fan of their modern-day ownership with the Glazers. But they were a club that, okay, they had a lot of money because they were smart in business. They got good sponsorship deals. You know, they had a a wealth of of success under, you know, probably one of the greatest managers of all time. They brought through a lot of young players at a good time, but they built on that and they built the club and they built that reputation over and over. They're a self-sustaining club. No one ever talks about that they're self-sustaining. I mean, you know, in fact, they're the opposite. Their owners pull money out of the club on a regular basis. to take it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... (laughs) You know, if you if and, and it's the argument that it's the stick that will always beat the likes of PSG and Man City. You know, they're the they're essentially country owned clubs. Um, but then, <laughs> if somebody came in and said, you know, we, there's a lot of talk about this Daniel Ek bid. I'm a bit uncomfortable with it myself, but <laughs> I think I think if you t- I think Why if you surveyed a hundred, I'm in, I'm interested. What am I uncomfortable with it? Yeah, <sighs> I'm uncomfortable with the idea that. Um, this guy is, I'm not disputing that he's a fan, not at all, but I question how much of this is based around his fandom and how much of it is this based on he sees us as an opportunity. And I think it's very PR. I think it's, you know, there's a reason he leaked it on social media. There's a reason mm-hmm. he's got involved with the Invincibles. There's a reason that this sort of 1.8 billion is coming up. I don't like the idea that he's having to bring, bring other people in to finance it. You know, he can sit there and, and tell us that he can afford the club till he's blue in the face. 
and until Swiss Ramble tweets it, I ain't believing it. Um, and I just, you know, I just don't, I'm just a bit uncomfortable with the idea that the minute our fans get a bit upset about the ownership, well, I mean, they have been upset for a long time, but the minute they protest it, all of a sudden, this tweet drops out of nowhere going, well, I wouldn't mind that, you know, and and and, and then there's the whole Spotify thing. Talk to anybody in the music industry. Um, I only know one person fairly high profile in the music, music industry, and, and he's not elite level. He's just earning a living from it. Um, and he, you know, he's shown me how much he's earned from Spotify. It ain't a lot. Uh, I haven't earned anything for our podcast being on Spotify. I mean, I I don't know why I want this guy to own our club. He hasn't paid me, you know, squat. I, I think I'm sure because he's paid me exactly what I'm worth, but that's not the point. <laughs> what I don't want to happen, Chris, is I don't want because um, I know that uh, what, what happens obviously sometimes is because of the absolute vitriol that, that the fan base has towards Cronky, and quite rightly, I should add, <laughs> that it's, it's very well placed that any kind of not defensive him because you weren't defending Kronk in any way, but what you were doing was pointing out some of the concerns we have with his opposition, which can be construed by some as a defence indirectly of, of the current ownership, which it isn't. I think that people just need to be very much more aware uh, of the situation um, than the kind of, and be a little bit more savvy uh, and street smart to, to this, to be honest, yeah. Um, the, so yeah. the, the big the big issue I have, I'll keep this really short because I don't I don't want to drone on. The biggest issue I have at the moment is that if you go on Twitter, and I appreciate the majority of our fan base are not on Twitter, it's not the majority. But if you go on Twitter or any social media, all of a sudden everyone is a financial expert now. Everybody knows everything about every company. Everybody will tell you who the right ownership of this club should be, and everybody will tell you about the reasons why Cronky should go and why person X, person Y, and person Z is a better owner. The truth is only people in the industry actually understand it. 99% of these people haven't even done a business, a business MVQ, let alone have any sort of qualification or background to, to speak about it in any sense or, or reasoning. And more, And the biggest point of all of this is I don't think that most of our fan base would be happy at all unless it's Nigel who owns the chippy on Highbury Hill that buys Arsenal. Nobody's going to be happy unless it's a local bloke from good old North London who's going to play all the kids and he's going to put all the money in. Do you know what I mean? So I, I don't think you're ever going to please everyone. And that's why I feel like we should kind of just step back and say, we'll support whoever's on the pitch. We'll support whoever wears the, the club kits. And if we're not happy with the ownership, we'll, we'll vent. Um, but ultimately, we'll let people who actually know what they're doing make the decisions. Who does Elon Musk support? <laughs> Uh, hmm. We could be Dogecoin United right now. I mean, yeah. is there, I mean, arguably, that no matter who comes in, just to play devil's advocate, whoever comes in is going to have to be an absolute, a huge, rich person in the billions of pounds. Are there any what you describe? All right, as I'll, as do as well? it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Andy, do it. Andy, you you with your Spotify <laughs> money. <laughs> Is there any billionaires out there that you wouldn't that we can't turn around and say, like they're not going to be clean necessarily? Um, and in, in the, the chat box, it, well, in, in the chat box, someone said, "Is uh, I'm going to try and find it." Uh, Mark uh, Backridan says, uh, "So Eck is worse than Cronky uh, as a question," and that was, that's why I pointed out I wanted to clarify what you were saying, Chris. But like there is no one in my mind that can come in and has like a clean slate. And so some, the, I guess the devil's advocate is going to be if Daniel Eck is, is just different 
is it worth doing? I see what you're saying, Chris, and I think it's a it's a completely fair point to outline the concerns that we have over over the, this person. I, to be fair, I'm not the biggest fan often of the AST and some of the, the people that are involved in it, but I was impressed by the fact that Tim Payton turned around to Andrew and said, look, we've not endorsed this bid yet because we don't know anything enough about it and we need to go down a government route and everything. And they very much learned from the whole Cronky takeover to not trust things on face value. So I was impressed by that. Um, but... Adam, I'll bring you in on this, and this is kind of where we're going to round off the show, I suppose, is that do you feel that, like, at the moment, it's just better to cut the cord? It, it might be a big kind of sponsorship. It might be a big publicity stunt is the better words to use. Mm. But is different, no matter what different is, better than what we have right now? I wouldn't necessarily say that different, just for different sake, is, is the best thing. I, I think... As much as it might be a publicity stunt, the fact that he's trying to get the Invincibles on board, the fact that he's trying to win over Arsenal fans, I think is a good sign. Um, it's effectively everything that Stan Kroenke or KSE isn't isn't doing. And it's what a lot of people have been crying out for. So if he's trying to woo me, it's working. Um, I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it that way. And I, I don't. I don't. Even though I, it's, it's quite transparent. You said that word before, Adam. Woo. Is that yeah. coming to your vocabulary? It definitely has. Um, yeah, the Ric Flair of uh, of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. E even though it's transparent, I can I can see what he's doing. I don't mind it, and I'm I'm going to let it happen to me because I, I think it it could. How how much worse could it get? Put it that way. Fair enough. That's a dangerous question to ask, mate. <laughs> uh, and probably a nice place to finish, too. Um, thank you all so much, everyone, that's tuned in and listened to the show today. We really appreciate all of you that have tuned in. There's been fair hundreds of you uh, to tune in and give us a load of comments and questions. And we appreciate all of you. If you could appreciate us by dropping a like on the video, of course, and giving the guys a follow on social media. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on the show, mate. Really appreciate your time. Tell people where they can find you on the socials. Anytime, time, yeah. Happy to be uh, happy to be here. And anytime you want somebody to just come on and have a moan, I'm always available. Um, <laughs> I'm at, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh Christ, don't say that. I'll be lynched. Uh, I'm at AFC Freddy Eight on Twitter. And if you do have a, a penchant for French football, um, if you go to at the FH Podcast, mm -hmm. uh, I am the host of French Football Weekly. Uh, we just released our most recent episode recorded today. So enjoy that, should you wish. Is your yeah. is your favorite ex Arsenal player uh, Germain Ponon? Ponon, yes. Although, oh, Ponon. Ponon. I should also also sorry for very quickly. I should also mention I am of course part of the Bergkamp Wonderland. I know you mentioned that on on the off, Tom. But uh, <laughs> yes, uh, big up big up to Danny. Um, I have to contractually say that otherwise Danny doesn't pay me in Spotify coins. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Daniel could be knocking at your door. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate your time, Mike. Always a pleasure. Even though you I mean you revealed behind the curtain pictures of me on your phone, which I you know I might be incriminating. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> I didn't tell anyone what you were doing when I took that picture. So trying to uh, sleep with oh, a bad hangover. Yeah, that's true. I don't have a hangover before I slept. It was that bad. I, just... <laughs> I must run because we are doing our podcast in one minute. Uh, so if you're looking for more podcast action, head, head over to the Gooners Pod. Uh, we're having uh, someone that that you both know very well. A certain Jason Davies will be joining us for what we're calling a hate cast because every time we have him on, it turns into you know what I hate. You know who I hate. And we're just going to do that for an hour straight today. The five of us, um, two of and, them are sitting right here. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and, and we're, we're it, it's going to be fun. Uh, so uh, so head over at the Gooners Pod. Tom, always a pleasure. Appreciate it. 
Um, keep kicking, uh, kicking ass at what you do. I don't know really where I was right. headed with that. And Adam, it's, it's great to part with you as well. Appreciate you laughing yes, at my stupid jokes. Mike, thank you ever so much for coming on. Awesome, as always. Tell people where they can find you. You can find me at TFO Show and on the Football Terrace. Um, yeah, and I'm hoping I can kick some ass too, man. There you, go. you can you can find Adam on the Football Terrace where he referred to me as Tom from the Arsenal talk today, which I appreciated <laughs> massively. <laughs> fantastic. Great. Fantastic stuff. Oh, and if you want to see the Granite Xhaka staring a mud hole in, my, in me with me going up to take my phone, we'll be kicking the, the podcast off with that. So we'll, He doesn't we'll, care about copyright, so you can I, just... I, it's not copyrighted, it's me. So I get to do <laughs> Fair it. enough. Very true. Um, we will see you again tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. for the Transfer Show. It's been a pleasure to speak to you as always, and as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.